right, we're in Philippians. Uh, for those of you who are first time here, uh, what we do on our Wednesday night Bible studies, unlike a Sunday morning, when I preach on a Sunday morning, that's a sermon, that's a message, that's you think through and you plan and you're trying to make your point and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a Wednesday night Bible study is really the focus is just on the particular scripture. We go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, one after another, put it in context. So we can get a feel of what uh, the writer was trying to say to us. So I give you my ten, two cents as I go along. Uh, but it's, it's about looking at it in context um, through the whole scripture. So we are at verse uh, verse 9 in chapter 1. Now, last week, not last week, week before, um, we did a, uh, you know, the, the setup for the thing. And I usually go back to the book of Acts so you guys can get a picture of who it is that they're writing to. It's always fun. It's fun for me to take a look at it. Actually, some people said they really enjoy that when we jump back into the book of Acts and was wondering when we could do the whole book of Acts. And uh, actually, I love the book of Acts. It's an absolute riot. You can see I light up when we, whenever we jump back there. So we might do that, uh, maybe even after this book. Some of you guys in point, uh, I think you saw me do it a couple of years ago, but... You can handle it again. But uh, um, it's really good stuff. I just love it. When you look at the early church and the challenges and stuff that they went through, a lot of stuff you can learn about Christianity uh, and where we're supposed to be at as, as people of faith. Um, so anyway, we're jumping around, and we must have covered I don't know how many different subjects the first opening day all over the map as I was losing control of my mind, and uh, which I'm prone to do. And uh, one of the things that I, I touched on, because when we look back at, at the story of the Philippians, um, one of the things that set that whole thing up is how Paul had this experience of casting this demon out of this girl in Philippi. And it kind of set up who these Philippians and stuff were. Well, I went into a little rant about uh, my view on demons. And uh, some people were asking if, if I would explain more about that. And I told them that I would uh, the next time I got up. Well, I'm lying. Uh, I will. When we're, I think let, let's finish this first. And then I promise as soon as it's done and before we jump to the book of Acts or whatever else we're going to do, I will do a whole evening just on this whole thing of the of demons and, and the role of such. Just so you keep in mind, at Celebration Church, we make a big distinction in what we believe and what we think. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we believe fundamentally the basic Christian doctrines that virtually every church believes in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. These are the things that we believe in. Then there's the I think category. People say, well, what do you believe about demons? Well, I'll tell you what I think. It's not like we believe and and cling to that. There's a great many doctrines in the church that we are, we put a real big distinction between what we think and what we believe. Most of us here believe, hopefully all of us here believe in the fundamental truths. Of, of the scriptures and of, of, of faith and of Christianity. Um, having said that, in the I think category, we're all over the map in here. Some of you guys think one thing, some of you think another thing, and the beauty is we don't all have to think the same. And we can absolutely disagree and still love each other and walk together as one body. That's one of the beautiful things I love about this church. Uh, something that we started in, in, when we were in Stevens Point is that church doesn't have to be about everybody thinking the same. All thinking the same doctrines and agreeing with every little precept and bylaws of, of the organization. I think God's bigger than that. I think God can handle it when we don't all think the same. And if there is one area where I think pops in, and it's certainly in this area of, you know, dealing with demons. There's not a whole lot of biblical teaching, direct teaching on it. It's all very 
you know, you got to kind of build your thoughts from looking at various things. I'll do that. But again, it's just what I think, and we've got plenty of room for that. But I will keep my promise to those of you. I won't do it tonight, but when we're done with this, we'll do the whole deal. And then you can at least know why Pastor Mark thinks the way he thinks, and then think whatever you want. Okay. I mean, honestly, you know, just everybody just chill. So uh, (laughs) uh, I believe there's a devil. That I, that's, that's solid, you know. I believe he's a really bad guy. I believe I want to not go where he's going. Okay? But I'll tell you what I think. All right, so, having done all that, let's pick it up in Philippians and then we'll keep moving forward. So, verse 9, he says, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He likes the Philippians. They were like his buds. He had a real close relationship with them. Um, this whole uh, letter that he writes to them is, is pretty uh, controversy-free, although there is one place where he... Kind of goes off on the same thing we just talked about in Galatians. You'll see that coming up. But all in, by and large, he's, he's pretty happy with everybody. These guys, Paul at this time is in prison, probably in Rome. We'll see in a second why we think that. Um, he, uh, uh, they, you know, he had no way of supporting himself. These guys had just sent some people with money to help support him. Again, they loved this guy the apostle Paul and very connected with him and he loved them. So he says, now this is my prayer for you, uh, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Certainly our goal as we study the scriptures together on Wednesday night in, in this Bible study, so we can grow in knowledge and depth of insight. So we can, we got a clue. We know what we believe, why we believe that we understand the scriptures, what, what it's compelling us to do, what it's challenging us to do. Why? Why does he pray that? Why? Just so you can walk around and say, well, I know the Bible really good. You know, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Why I know lots of things about the Bible. You know, they're just, just, ever just, these puffy, you ever run into people like that? They're just puffed up. You just want to take a pin and go and watch them deflate and say, don't be an arrogant jerk, you know. But uh, knowledge puffs up, but but love builds up. So um, this isn't just for the sake that we can all think we know more than, than everybody else. This is so that we can grow in our faith. And he says the reason for this is so that you might be able to discern what is best. We talked about that last time. Too many Christians today, they don't want to discern what is best. They don't want to discern the right thing to do. They want God to tell them what to do. And I cannot stress it enough. Do not sit around waiting for God to tell you what to do. There's enough discernment and wisdom and knowledge in the scriptures and faith and by advice and counsel. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is safety and wisdom. And from those things uh, you can know what to do. If you're about to do something God doesn't want you to do, trust me, God is a big boy. He can get through to you. All right? But just sitting around doing nothing waiting for those millions of believers in this country who literally live by the doctrine, or don't do anything until God tells me what to do. What are you doing with your life? Oh, I'm just waiting for God to tell me. There's so many young people in their 20s right now. What are you going to do with your life? I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do. I tell you, God's going to kick your butt if you don't knock it off. Grow up, mature, get some wisdom in you so you can discern what is best. That's one of the reasons for learning the scriptures. Again, we don't want to learn the scriptures. We want just God to tell us. Telling you is the easiest thing in the world and it is the laziest thing in the world. I mean, if, if God just tells you, you don't have to learn anything. He just tells you what to do. It would be great. It would be convenient. It also would not take much faith. If God told you everything to do, what's hard about that? 
That's a slam dunk. Mark, take three steps down. One, two, three. That's easy. It's not so easy when, Mark, be careful how you walk. Why? Oh, man. Ah! You know, it, it takes more faith and to grow and to learn. Are you hearing me? This whole idea of everybody, God just giving everybody every little detail is not faith. And it, and it certainly doesn't advance the kingdom. I do not believe. Um, freezes more people than blesses them. So number one, so you can know what to do, what's discern what is best. And secondly and thirdly, that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And if there is a problem in the body of Christ today, among people of Christian faith, is we're having a really hard time with purity and blamelessness. A lot of it is rooted in a sexual sin, which I've talked in great detail about, and I won't take you all the way back there. But goodness gracious, we are just in an onslaught today. If we could just get people to do the basic stuff, and the church could start walking in a pure way. Single people, keep your pants on for crying out loud. Is it that hard? You know, you guys quit gawking at porn and stuff on the internet. And you parents, watch out for your kids for crying out loud. You know, especially teenagers. I was just dealing with this a few days ago with a family. They were all freaked out because they found out their kid was looking at at porn. What? You put a young teenage boy in a computer in his room by himself? You're just asking for trouble. I said to them, would you let your son go into his bedroom with the door shut with a girl? For hours on end? Now, I know some Christians who do that. They're dumb as bricks. They are, then they'll be coming to me, Pastor, my daughter's pregnant, what should I do? I don't know, I want to punch you first, and we'll worry about them. I don't know how it happened. I'll tell you how it happened. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Well, no more than you do that, no more would I stick a a computer in a room with a teenager by himself. I'm telling you, you need to keep those things in public places in your house. Where everybody can see and put blocks on your computer. Because they'll run across stuff accidentally. Good Lord, you can type up the most obscure, innocuous stuff and just get inundated by website after website of good Lord who knows what. One day I typed in gunger.com. I just wanted to see 16 Korean porno sites popped up. Honestly, I don't know what Korean means or gunger means in Korean, but it ain't good. Pastor fornicate, you know what I'm saying? I might, <laughs> I might have a different, difficult time ministering in Korea. <laughs> I think it stopped now. I checked the other days because it was still driving me crazy, but it stopped. But uh, you know, goodness gracious, quit, you know, look out for that stuff. I'm telling you, you, we've got to be smart about this stuff. Men are 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 in. Uh, Men and women both, particularly affects men because they're more likely to be visually stimulated, are being inundated with temptation at a level that's never been seen in mankind's history, ever. Thousands of years ago, you wanted to see a naked lady, you had to work hard at it. Where are you going to go? They had to go wherever they were. Hey, I don't know where they hung out 2,000 years ago, but you had, you know, and even when I was growing up, if you wanted to see something, you had to go buy a magazine or something. Today, it's being thrown at your kids and your husbands. Overwhelming faction. Make sure you've got filters on those computers and check on people. Goodness gracious. Let's get to a place of purity. It is the one thing, I'm absolutely convinced, it is the one thing that is poisoning the church and keeping the power of God from flowing in our churches today. 
because so many people are up to their eyeballs in sexual sin. And we don't have to be. It's not about hating you. It's not about condemning you. It's like, hey, come on. We're better than that. We're children of God. Goodness gracious. Men, this is just damaging men today. Men today are, are becoming addicted to artificial women instead of real women. It's one of the reasons a lot of guys don't even treat real women with much respect and kindness today. Very little interest in real women. It's destroying men, young men particularly, and it's getting up uh, further in ages. It's just such a disease that we've got to take it so seriously. I would really encourage you, watch yourself in this way. Goodness gracious, if we could get to a place where we're pure and blameless instead of all this poison going through us, what God could do with us. And then he goes on and says, so that we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him? He got arrested. He's in prison. Most likely in Rome, which we'll see in a second here. The reason why we think it was Rome, look at the next verse. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard. Hence, we think he was in Rome where the palace garden and these things were at. And to everyone else that I'm here in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord had been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So some people, it really encouraged them. When they saw Paul suffering for his, for his faith, they were even more bold in preaching the gospel. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Uh, the latter do so in love, knowing that I'm here put here for the defense of the gospel the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains there's people who hated Paul so they thought that what they would do is go around and say hey you know about that Jesus guy you know he's supposed to be the son of God you know they were doing that thinking that the more people that would become Christian the more trouble it would bring to Paul and that he'd receive heavier and heavier persecution well, Paul's deal was he was glad no matter whatever reason the gospel was being preached. He says in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He didn't care. Whatever person they want, he just rejoiced in the fact that, that Jesus was being preached. And he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given to me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Here is a man resolved to glorify God. And he says, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just confident that I won't be ashamed and I'll do whatever I need to do. I just want to glorify God, whether I live to glorify God or if they kill me and glorify God in my death. And he says uh, a very uh, well-known verse, this next verse, kind of verse you want to, uh, you'll hear a lot from time to time. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is he saying? To, for my life, my life is about serving Christ, whatever that means. And, and for him, oftentimes it meant a, a considerable amount of suffering. Um, you know, I was talking to someone today about how so many Christians today think that, you know, God is just about interested in making them happy. That if anything goes wrong or anything goes sour or they have any difficulties or things go bad, then that, that can't possibly be God. I, I, I don't think so. It, it, God, Jesus didn't die to make you happy. He died to make you holy. And sometimes you're extremely happy and sometimes you can be extremely miserable. And, and oftentimes God will ask you to do things or require you to do things that you, to go through that are not fun at all. Uh, parenting is one. <laughs> 
especially when they hit, you know, teenagers, you know. It's like I was talking to this couple the other day, you know, they got all these little kids and now one finally is a teenager and all of a sudden they have this problem. And I said, well, you're just now got a teenager now, you know, welcome to hell. And uh, it, it can be very, it can be very, common. how many of you have gone through it? You know what I'm talking about? It is, it is a trial. It is tough. It'll make you a little crazy. And uh, whereas when they're little kids, they kind of listen to you a little. You know, now, you know, at 16, they can reason with you why you're an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> and you, you say, I brought you into the world, Jack. I'm going to take you out. You know what I'm saying? And it, it can make you a little crazy. Just don't give up. Don't quit. A lot of parents, they get in trouble because they quit parenting too soon. Stay involved in those little rugrats' life. We were on top of them till the day they shipped out of the house. And then we danced. Stay with them. If the temptation is they're finally big enough, they don't poop their pants anymore. Great, praise God. And, and then you just give them the keys and oh good, I trust you. You trust them, you're an idiot. Stay on top of these kids. They are in a world that will try to destroy them, but for your intervention as a faithful parent. Um, tough stuff. Sometimes life is just tough. Anyway, for him, um, live, to live for Christ wasn't you know staying at the Ritz-Carlton all the time. It was about uh, doing the right things and oftentimes suffering for it. He says, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, I will continue. If God allows me to live, I'll continue to do things that will someday reap a reward for me in, a, in eternity. We've got to remember this. We are going to get to heaven. Those of us who believe in Christ, hopefully that's everybody here, someday we're going, if you live long enough, you're going to die. And we're going to go to heaven. Okay? And then in heaven, there's going to be degrees of reward. We don't all get, the, get in on the same deal. We're going to be there for a really long time. And those who understand these things want to live a life that is storing up treasures in heaven. Doing things that will last for eternity. Don't spend all your time and energy just on your life here. Granted, you have to deal with life here. But don't get so focused on here you forget about there. Which is a real temptation. Easy to do. We need to lay up treasures in heaven. Be concerned about eternity. And, uh, and, and he wants to, he says, boy, if I keep living, then that means more fruit for me. Because I can keep building into the kingdom of God. And then he says, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Here's a guy, he can't decide whether he wants to live or die. Not because he's depressed. I know people who don't, can't decide if they want to live or die because they're depressed. The world hates me. Life sucks. Everything's horrible. I think I'll eat some worms and die. All right? They're just bummed out all the time. Here's a man who cherished life, loved God, but yet he knew that being with Christ was so much better. He says, for me to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This is huge gain. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, Again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I, whether I come uh, and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way, in any way by those who oppose you. He says, when you're not frightened, this is what happens. He says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God. Why is that? Because if you're not afraid of what people can do to you, you're not afraid of what men can do to you. It speaks realm reams to these people, you know. Uh, and, and let me encourage you, walk not in fear, but in faith. 
What's the worst anything can happen to you? You die and go to heaven. How horrible is that? I mean, really, we fret about stuff. That, somebody says to me, I'm not worried about dying and going to heaven. It's living down here in pain. I get that, you know. That kind of stinks too. But still, we win in the end. I've read the end. We win. <laughs> Hate to ruin the movie for you. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to be mighty blessed and have everything you can possibly imagine and have the nicest cars and the biggest houses and just make out like a drunken monkey. <laughs> Different translation. <laughs> what, what do you say? We not only have the joy of believing in him, but we have the joy and the privilege to... <laughs> that bites, huh? We have the joy to suffer for him. Sometimes you will suffer because of your faith. Um, it's easier in, a, in the kind of world that we live in to just go with the flow and not take any stand for righteousness. But when you stand for the right things in a world that's going wrong, you will be persecuted. Sometimes it's in the slightest ways. Maybe somebody just makes fun of you. Maybe somebody doesn't want to invite you to their Christmas party. That's all, nothing. All the way to some people in parts of the world are arrested and they lose their property and physically tortured because of their faith in Christ. Some even lose their lives. And for us, this is also uh, a wonderful privilege. He says, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So this is a time in Christian history where a lot of heat was being applied and people were suffering pretty intensely for their faith. So chapter 2, again, keeping in mind these numbers did not exist when they wrote. He didn't write in chapters or verses. They just cut this up later so he could find stuff. So he continues writing. He says, listen, guys, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete. Now remember, he's appealing to them because they love him and he loves them. You want to really bless me? You want to really complete my joy as I'm suffering in these chains? Then do this for me. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Well, Pastor, I thought you said we didn't all have to think the same. It says right there, be like-minded. I don't think that means everybody thinking the same. Besides, it says being like-minded, how? Having the same love. Okay, being one in spirit and purpose. I believe, I've said this many times and will continue to say it. I believe the the greatest glory this church can give to God is when people look at us and they see different people. White, black, Puerto Rican, Mexican, whatever the deal is. uh, Rich, poor, tattoos, no tattoos, pretty, not so pretty, not so pretty, pretty, um, whatever. (laughs) Don't make anybody feel bad. Um, That And people who think different ideas about the Bible, that we, in spite of all of our differences, can join together with one heart, one mind, one purpose. This brings the greatest glory to God. It's not a glory to God when everybody who thinks the same hangs out together. It's not to the glory of God when everybody who has the same economic status all hangs together. It's not when everybody has the same colors. Sunday mornings are the most segregated times in America. When everybody breaks off in their little things, segregated not only by race, but by uh, economic status and all kinds of statuses and da-da-da-da, I think it's just a disgrace. I think every church should be absolutely as mixed up as possibly can. Of all kinds of, as much diversity as they can possibly find. We don't find that much here in Green Bay, but as much as we can find, man, bring it in. Let's not all have to be the same, but we can still think the same in that we 
had this one purpose to glorify God. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Hard to do. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Very hard to do. <laughs> because at some level, we really love ourselves and, and think we're fabulous. And everyone else, if they could only be like me, what a great world this would be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and, uh, and, and be careful. One of the ways that you can walk in love is don't take your own opinion so seriously. Now, I say that being one of the most opinionated people I know. I have an opinion about everything. And I just, rah, 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 and I just go for it, okay? But I try and keep it in perspective. I realize that I, I don't even take everything I think that seriously. You know what I'm saying? I tell people, I don't care what you think, but I don't care what I think. I care what God thinks. And what we believe together is, you know, not everything that goes on in this church do I agree with. It's true. And I'm the pastor. And I could make it be whatever I want. I have that power. I could rule like Mussolini if I wanted to. But what does that accomplish? There are things that we do that I don't agree with. There's programs we have I don't particularly agree with. There's songs we sing I don't even like. They highly irritate me. And I tell them, but they don't care. <laughs> Why? Because I, I don't care. Sing whatever you want to sing. I got one or two songs I really can't stand. I ban them. <laughs> I, I will take a step every once in a while and flex my muscle. But, to, but you know, it's like, who cares? People come up, well, Pastor, I don't think I agree with this thing going on in the church. And I think, well, get in line. I don't even agree with everything that goes on in the church. We don't all have to agree about everything. It's, it's, uh, recently I had a, a wonderful lady in the church, been here forever, and she got really ticked about one area in the church, and, and, uh, um, you know, and she just doesn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. And I told her, that's absolutely fine. It's fine. She still loves God. She still loves all of us. She still is involved in the church. Something bugs her. So what? It's okay. It's okay. I told my staff, it's okay. Everybody's okay. We don't have, everybody doesn't have to be crazy about everything. But if you get so opinionated about stuff that all you can see is your viewpoint and everyone has to, has to think like you, that your opinion has to prevail, well, then you need to chill out a little bit. That's where you're starting to think more highly of yourself than you should and not having humility. Having said that, I argue my cases. I, I get together with the staff. I will argue my case and, uh, and, and still not come out on top at the end. <laughs> you know, I know that sounds a little odd because most pastors don't do that. They come in and they're just butt kickers, you know. You got two extremes. You got the girly men who don't do anything. And there's way too many of those in the church. And then, then you got the real strong guys that just crush everybody. Under, and I just, I, you know, I don't want to be either one. I want to be somewhere in the middle. I've got to figure, you know, if I come up with this great feeling and belief about something, and if everybody thinks this, and I'm the only one who thinks that, I could be wrong. <laughs> now, do I think I'm wrong? I do not. <laughs> I think I'm brilliant. I can't imagine why everybody else can't see what I see. But when I see I'm the only guy on staff thinking we should do it this way, and everybody's going, uh, then I okay, okay, okay. You know, it's it's conceivable, barely conceivable, <laughs> but, but I could be wrong. 
You know, but we just this attitude of considering others better than yourself. Some other people might have more of a clue than you. And again, that's not to say you can't voice your opinions to everybody or anybody, including me. But not to the point where you get so freaked out that you can't be part of the church anymore because everybody, you know, they're not doing what I think should be done. <laughs> Who are you? Man, if I can't get everything what I want, you sure ain't going to get it. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, and later on he says everybody looks to their own interests. We'll see that in the, later on in the chapter. But don't only look to your own interests. We all do that. We all have our interests. It's impossible for him to say, don't look at your own interests. Only the interests of others. Sounds very spiritual, but it's ludicrous. Everybody looks for their own interests. I look for my interests. But don't just do that. Look for the interests of others. Again, people who are so overly possessed not of demons, but of their own thoughts, who, who just, they can't imagine, all that matters is what they think, are not people who think that others have a, a legitimate point of view. You need to look into the interests of other people. It's not all about you. Okay? Your attitude, he says, should be the same of Christ Jesus. Why? Look what Jesus did. Who being in the very nature God, here he comes into the earth, he is God. God. Born, I mean, just the whole idea being born in a barn goodness gracious you ever have anybody ask you what were you born in a barn Jesus would go yeah you know <laughs> it's, it's a little embarrassing it's humiliating starts in a barn man I'd at least you know you know been in some you know nice hotel or something but being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I'm God, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. He didn't think in those terms. But he made himself nothing. Born in a barn. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. This is miserable death. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. That kind of attitude. It, it really is stunning when, when you read the Gospels and, and how humble he was and how he served. I mean, it, it freaked the disciples out. Remember the one time he, Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wash your feet? And Peter said, no. No. This ain't right. It's freaking him out. How the Son of God could serve in such a way, but just as an example. Our example of humility and being more concerned about others is the example that Jesus left for us. And you're not weak in doing. Jesus was not weak. You're not a loser in doing that. Jesus, And I say that because your brain will scream at you, you're being a loser. It will. Don't be a loser. Don't be a loser. Don't be a loser. Don't let the people step on you. Don't be a, a rug. Or a mat. Whatever word they use, I don't know. Gotta stand up for yourself and all those other kind of things. And while at times even that's appropriate, the whole idea is that uh, um, being humble like Christ was humble. If he, being God, could serve and be concerned more about others than himself, oh my goodness, 
what, 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 what position do we have? All right, going on. Therefore, my dear friends, he writes, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Again, he loves these guys. They always do what he says. Very cool. Uh, He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, let's talk about that. Continue. He says, listen to me. Listen to me. Like you always have. Work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's a whole lot different than you hear from a lot of pulpits today. What they say is as long as you pray the sinner's prayer. As long as you've asked Jesus in your heart. As long as you believe, doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you do. You can live like a pig. You can live like a slob. You can be da-da-da. And this is certainly in one of those, I think, categories. But there's a lot of believers who think that way. That, you know, there's two extremes. One is that, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you're a born-again Christian and you walk along and all of a sudden you think a nasty thought, you're going to go to hell just like that. Well, that's ridiculous. And then the other one, in my opinion, also equally ridiculous, is that you can live no matter how and you're still going to get to heaven. I think you're on drugs. So where's the fall at? Man, who wants to debate that? Just do the right thing. How about that? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'll tell you what, those who think way over here, they're not fear and trembling. Fear and trembling of what? If these guys are right, what's there to be afraid of? There is, now some say, well, just fear and trembling that you won't be everything you can be in God's kingdom. Okay, that's what you want to think. Uh, I, I think it's something a little different than this. I will say this. There are, when, when you look at this, the Bible talks about salvation usually in three tenses. One tense, you have been saved. When you come to Christ and you ask Christ into your life and you turn from your sins and say, I want to live for God and, and by faith you're born again, you've been saved. You'll hear people say, I got saved. Okay, so you've been saved. In another very real sense, we are being saved. Even though we've been saved, there's another tense, you'll see it like here, where you're being saved. Where we're continuing to become more and more like Christ. Even Paul, as we'll see in the next chapter, says, man, I still don't get this stuff right. Which is really depressing. If he didn't get it right, (laughs) what kind of chance do we stand? But you know, but you just keep working it out. You just keep working it out with fear and trembling. Growing. You make mistakes, you blow it. I understand it. But let's let's not take it uh, casually and let's not fear that we're going to hell every five seconds. but, but, But have an attitude of, let's get this right. And we're being saved. And then there's another tense you'll find in the New Testament where it says, we will be saved. In And that's after death, in resurrection. So, it sounds a little confusing, but there really are three different tenses, and you'll see that as you read through the New Testament. Either they have been saved, and being saved by being sanctified, growing closer to God, and yet we're going to be saved on that day. So, I don't know why, it just is. Okay, so, now, um, work it out with fear and trembling, because it's God who works in you. Now check that out. You work out your salvation... Because it's God who works in you. Well, who's doing the work? It's really both. It's really both. It is a partnership. God is working in your life. Do I have to do anything? Yes. Can I do it on my own? No. And that well, can God just do it all for me? No. Do I have to do something? Yes. Can I just be strong enough and serve Jesus on my own power? No, you'll fail. Are you confused yet? That's why people say, Bible's contradictory. Sometimes it seems that way. You know, because there's paradox in faith. 
The only way you can live is if you'll die, the Bible says. That's a little odd. The only way you can work out your salvation is if you let God work it out in you. It's fascinating. You guys look at me like I dropped in from Mars tonight. On a... <laughs> What's on TV right now? I could be missing something. <laughs> Are y'all still with me? Good, because the next verse says, do everything without complaining. <laughs> do everything without complaining or arguing. How many of you got that down perfectly yet? Any hands in the crowd? <laughs> ah, doctor, we'll stone him to death. But we won't complain while we do it. Everything without complaining or arguing. You know, that's, that's hard to do. Um, if, if you don't think it's hard to do, uh, get married. <laughs> <laughs> oh God help us all uh, even your perfect pastor you know I kind of feel kind of a little bleh on me hopefully it's just a real quick thing if you think of me pray tonight that I just I hate getting colds colds are such a drag they don't kill you just make you miserable it's just, just icky anyway I was kind of grumpy tonight and my wife pointed that out to me earlier <laughs> I have to do penance when I get home and do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. May become blameless and pure? I thought we were pure. We've been washed in the water of the word. Again, there's these different tenses. And again, it confuses people. On the one hand, Jesus saved you and washed you. He says, though your sins will be as scarlet, you'll be as white as snow. Snow? No. White as snow. You'll be pure. But yet we're becoming pure. Kind of interesting, huh? Um will become pure, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Man, if they had a crooked and depraved generation, what in the world is ours? The good news is when you get around a whole lot of crooked and depraved generation people, you will shine like stars in the universe. Hallelujah. That's the good news. When things get so dark, people get, oh, pastor, it's so bad out there, it's so dark, it's so horrible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a great, great opportunity to shine. The darker it gets, the brighter you get. During the day, it's hard to see the stars. When the sun goes down and feels like everything's awful, man, it gets mighty pretty up there. We live in a pretty dark world. The good news is that we can just shine brightly for Christ. Hallelujah. Um, shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. That's what we should be doing, holding out the word of life to other people, shining brightly, being attractive. We need to be attractive. Paul often talked about we need to make the gospel attractive. Um, that's why he said back in... Uh, Verse 27, you have to look at it again, but uh, unless you're following along, where he says, live yourselves, live yourselves in a, a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? So that this brings glory to God, so that we shine brightly. You know, make the gospel look appealing to others. So, we, as we do this and hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. His, it all, Paul often talks in those terms. He says, man, the worst. Because remember, this guy is suffering. At a very high level. In fact, when he got saved, um, the Lord said, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my kingdom's sake. Um, he had a really, really hard time. And he's thinking, man, his greatest fear is that after all the energy he put into people, that they fall flat and the kingdom of God isn't advanced. 
He said, man, when you shine like bright as stars and everything else, then I didn't, I didn't work for nothing. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, as, as reference to his death, and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Then he says this, I hope uh, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interest, as we talked about earlier, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Um, We have no record of that. The chapter, the book of Acts ends with him going off to Rome. So we, you know, we kind of piece it together from there what actually happened to him. We didn't know if he got released for a while and then got arrested later, but eventually we know they, they killed him. Um, and then he says this, but I think it necessary uh, to send back to you Ephrodites, my brother, uh, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. That's the guy who brought the offering. Okay, here's the guy who brought the offering. And I think I need to send him back to you too. Why? Because, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Check that out now. How awesome is that? You know, we get the impression, a lot of times when you read the Bible, that these guys just had everything they wanted. That they just walked in miracles constantly and everything that they touched just happened. And, and you'll, you'll often hear people preach in those terms, you know, that you got enough faith, nothing ever bad will happen. You just speak to this and speak to that and this, this and all. And they, they look at Paul and stuff like that. But you're not seeing the whole picture. Here is a guy who has a fellow servant with him. And Paul did incredible miracles, great miracles to us. But one of his closest buds comes to help him and he gets so sick and, and he doesn't get better. In fact, he almost dies. Stop and think about that. Do you think he prayed for him? I bet he did. Don't you think he did? He prayed and, and he says, God just spared me the sorrow because he said I would have been so bummed if he'd have died. But he wasn't going to lose his faith if he died. Sometimes your prayers get answered miraculously. Sometimes they don't. Why? Let me tell you why. I don't know. I just don't know. It doesn't mean that the Bible isn't true. It doesn't mean that. Why, why would God heal somebody? The Bible says the, the apostles of the time could walk by and just their shadows would fall on people. And they would be instantly healed. Guys, they didn't even know. And then other times, someone that they really loved and cared about. And we'll see, we'll see that in the book of Acts. They, they would get sick and they die. You know, the bottom line, look, we all die. Why it doesn't happen for everybody, I don't know. And neither do you. All right? God knows. But don't get discouraged because sometimes things don't always go the way that you want. The truth of the matter is you get firm in prayer. You trust God. You believe God. At times things just don't go the way you think they should. But you've got to trust God in these things. And I, I don't know why. Why it is. I believe most of the time God, you'll, if, you, if you approach faith right, you will have what you ask for. Certainly that's what Jesus taught. But sometimes it, it doesn't. And things won't go as quickly. Or sometimes you'll suffer a lot longer than you think you needed to, or you'll struggle with something uh, that didn't go as easy as you thought it would go, or 
you know, there's all these different versions of stuff. It doesn't mean that uh, there's something wrong with you. It could mean that. It doesn't always mean that. I mean, sometimes we get in the way. You have to be open to all of these things. There's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of sides of this. But just, I just think it was fascinating to read how Paul had somebody that he loved so dearly, and despite of the incredible power and miracles that Paul walked in, his friend almost died from a sickness. And he eventually got better. And it probably wasn't an instantaneous thing. He had to work through it and he finally got stronger. Now he's finally, and he says, now I want to send him back to you because he heard that, that, that you knew he was sick and you were all worried about him and I was worried about him and, and he's okay. And go figure why that is, you know. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's fascinating. When you read just the book of Acts, all you ever really see for the most part are these incredible miracles that happen uh, constantly. Uh, but they, these guys also had times when things didn't go exactly the way that they thought and uh in the end i'm sure i know god knows why i have a funny feeling one of the first things we'll all say when we get to heaven is oh oh now i get it uh so don't lose faith don't get discouraged when things don't always plan out uh the way that you think uh, the you know sometimes you know it wouldn't surprise me if sometimes god let things like that happen just to see if we really love him for him. It could be as simple as that. You know, do we serve God just because of everything we can get out of God? Now what happens when, you remember when uh, uh, the devil in Job came to God and said, yeah, he loves you because you give him everything. Sure he loves you because everything in his life is blessed. Oh yeah, feast of cake. If you took that away from him, he'd curse you to his face. God said, okay, let's test him. Sometimes people just get tested. It's a drag. I don't like getting tested. Ever since I was in high school, I hated tests. I still hate tests. Sometimes we have tests on our nature and our character and stuff. And, and, uh, and for like a guy like Job, everything goes wrong. He loses everything. Uh, but he still praises God. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was loving God no matter what happened to him. And a great glory to God. So sometimes that happened. And of course, in the end, he was more blessed than ever. But there are times of testing where, you know, maybe there's a testing time for Paul in that. Maybe there's a testing time for the guy who was sick in that. We don't know. Uh, don't lose faith. God's word is still God's word. You can trust them and, 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 and believe and expect uh, miracles. But don't lose your faith. Don't come unglued when you get tested and things don't quite turn out and, and you want to know why. No one really knows why. God knows why. Uh, but just stay faithful because in the end, we will always triumph. Hallelujah. We're going to win in the end. Like I said, I read the end of the book. Hallelujah. All right. Let's have our ushers come and we'll close the service. (laughs) This next part's kind of fun. You don't want to miss that. Because he's got a couple of paragraphs here where he goes psycho on people again. Those same guys that he talked about in Galatians. It's Really great entertainment, quite frankly. Wait till you see the insults he throws out here. Fascinating stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your kindness to us, Lord. And we pray now as uh, we give into your kingdom that you will use these finances to advance your kingdom as we lay up treasures in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.